Well, good morning. Another absolutely beautiful spring day. So, this morning, we're going to do a third week on discipleship. And then that's going to wrap up the whole ecclesiology series that we've been that we've been preaching through and teaching through for the last three months. So as we do that, let me open up with a prayer and ask for God's help and guidance and His Spirit to be helping us think through together what this is really all about and how best to grasp it and implement it in our lives and in this church. So let's pray. Father, thank you for your love. It is, it is so good. Thank you for Jesus, our Savior, the one who saved us from our sin and brought us back to you. Thank you for your Holy Spirit who is working in us and guiding us and helping us learn and discern. Thank you for your word, your word which you gave us, which is invaluable. Father, all of these things, we pray for us as individuals, us as a church family, and for us in order to carry out and be part of your purpose and plan for your church today in this age, we pray. Amen. So I did something that they say you shouldn't do. How's that for a start? I left a copy in the back uh, that ran out, so I made some more and put them back there. A copy of a handout. I'm just going to reference it. I don't have sermon notes today to give you. And uh, what I did that you're cautioned against is I give you something. I'm just going to reference a piece of it. But now that you have it in your hands, what you're going to want to do probably is read through it. <laughs> right? And I would say, don't do that yet. Do that after I'm done. Bring it home and read through it and see if it helps explain some more things that I'm going to be bringing up today. So we're, we're on our last sermon in this series, and it, it's been going for something like three months. Is that about right? The last two weeks, Dave was dealing with discipleship uh, within the church and locally nearby, and his focus was on evangelism and establishing and equipping aspects. And his main points were that the local church, the local church is disciples making disciples. That's that's what it's all about. Disciples 
making disciples. He said, being a disciple is not something you do alone. One another. There's a lot of the one another passages. It's not a one-way thing. It's a mutual ministry of discipleship. And last week, he wrapped it up, and he emphasized the importance of God's word, prayer, and the spirit, us as a congregation, and patience as integral aspects of discipleship. And I really enjoy it. I didn't get a chance to hear it until I came back from the trip, um, but I really enjoyed what he had to say. Today, we're going to look at discipleship, but now from a global or a distant perspective, the expansion of the church in the, in the whole world. Now, here's, here's going to be my main point, and I really struggled with this. When, when we met as a preach team yesterday, uh, I wasn't quite there yet, and they weren't quite there yet with me, <laughs> so I got some input. But this is, this is somewhat my main point today. When good discipleship happens... The church is strengthened and healthy. Teaching, learning, obeying, evangelizing, prayer, they're all parts of discipleship. The result of a disciple-making church will be an ability to go out beyond our borders to present the gospel and establish churches worldwide. That's going to be my emphasis this morning. Now, on this, this missions ministry handout, there's two points uh, that are there that I think are important. That we said as a church, this is, this is how we're going to think about some of the aspects that we would call missions. One, Evangelize, establish, and equip individuals and families at CBC so that we don't just do it because it's the right thing to do. There's a reason. So that we'll grow and mature as a local church and we'll have the resources necessary to plant a church that is expand or extend plant a church in the metropolitan or North Georgia vicinity. Two, we want to work with and pull alongside global churches in helping them fulfill God's plan for his church in Europe and Africa and Central and South America. Those are two main goals that we have when we think about missions and missions is really part of discipleship. We don't often think of it that way. And I'm going to see if I can bring that together for you this morning. We use the Matthew passage many times in the past months. I'm going to read it again. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. 
Go, therefore. Go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to follow all that I commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And it's that peace there in the middle, make disciples of all nations, that I'm going to focus on. But first, this third requirement for making disciples of all nations is the one that says, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. The mission of the church is not simply to convert, but to teach. The convert is called to a life of obedience to the Lord. And in order to obey him, it's obviously necessary to know what he requires. By definition, he's a learner and a follower. And this is, this is what you've been getting with Dave the last couple of weeks. Therefore, studying, understanding, and obeying the whole purpose of God is the lifelong task. It's a lifelong task of every true disciple. When Jesus had his discourse in the upper room, he said the following, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while abiding with you. And then he goes on to say the Holy Spirit is going to come and teach them things and bring to your remembrance everything that he had told them. It's important to remember and think Jesus did not spend time teaching in order to entertain the crowds or reveal interesting or inconsequential truths about God. His first mission was to provide salvation for those who would come to him in faith. That's the first part of making a disciple. His second mission was to teach God's truth to those disciples. The same twofold mission he gives to the church. And you should have gotten that from Dave in the last couple of weeks. No one's a true disciple apart from personal faith in Christ, and there's no true disciple apart from an obedient heart that desires to please the Lord in all things. But for this morning, there's another component in this commission and it involves going. Going into all the nations. That's our focus for discipleship today. It's often called missions, but I'm beginning to understand better. Missions is really a part of discipleship. It's right there. It's in the middle of that commission. It's not a standalone thing that only a few people do. 
It's a responsibility of the church to do it. It belongs as a responsibility of the church. Now, there are missions organizations. Sometimes we call them parachurch, but sometimes they take over and pretty much do everything the church is supposed to doing. And when the church abdicates that responsibility, that is not right. It's a responsibility for the church to do it here in Kennesaw, but also to do it around the world. Here's what Warren Wiersbe had to say about this piece in the Matthew passage. He said, this is a commission to take the gospel to all nations, and it's a definite change from Matthew 10, 5, and 6, where the commission was limited to Jews only. Evangelism alone is not the commission. After people are one, they should be baptized, which suggests a local church fellowship. They should be taught, which suggests the teaching and preaching of the word of God. Keep in mind, our commission is not simply to win souls. It is to make disciples, which includes winning them, bringing them into a Christian fellowship, building them up in the faith. And whatever is done should be tied to the local church. Now, there's some other passages. The Great Commission really is not limited to just the Matthew passage. We'll see this commissioning also in Luke, when we were studying in the Gospel of Luke. Listen to Luke 24, 46 through 47. So it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning from Jerusalem. And then Luke continues with that, in the book of Acts, verses 7 and 8. They had asked Jesus, the apostles had asked Jesus, is this the time? And he said, it's not for you to know periods of time or appointed times which the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and as far as the remotest part of the earth. You need to go out. You need to go into all the world and be my witnesses. <clears throat> now, as we watch how that happened, as we're reading through Acts, chapters 1 through 7, we see, we literally see, the apostles and the word going out in Jerusalem, in Judea, and in Samaria. It literally unfolds, just like Jesus said it would. And then we get to Acts chapter 11. And we see in Acts chapter 11, a local church in a city called Antioch. 
And this was accomplished by some believers who were scattered because of persecution that was going on in Jerusalem after Stephen got stoned. And I want to point something out here in chapter 11 and chapter 13 about this church in Antioch because it is the source for our CBC mission statement. Something you've heard many times. And you probably go, oh, there it is again, our mission statement. Well, we got it from Scripture. We didn't just build it out because we thought, hey, you know, this is a cool way to think about missions. So I want to remind you of that and help you see where that came from. Acts, turn to Acts 11. Acts eleven nineteen through 30. Listen closely. So then, those who were scattered because of the persecution that occurred in connection with Stephen made their way to Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except to Jews alone. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks, also preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them. And a large number who believed turned to the Lord. The news about them reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas off to Antioch. And then when he arrived and witnessed the grace of God, he rejoiced and began to encourage them all with resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. For he was a good man and full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And considerable numbers were brought to the Lord. And he left for Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. Note, and for an entire year, they met with the church and taught considerable numbers. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Now, perhaps you're really paying attention to the way that we articulate our mission. And we have these things called four E's, right? You remember the four E's? Evangelism, establish, equip, and expand. Well, consider, where did that come from? Chapter 11, verses 20 and 21. Whole bunch of evangelism going on here. Considerable numbers, and they're brought into the church. Now, they don't just come to the church and just kind of meet and sing and have a good time. Barnabas and Saul taught them for an entire year. Consider they're being established there in this teaching. They're established in the faith. That's the sequence. Now, sometime later... Let's go look at Acts 13, verses 1 through 4. 
Now, there were at Antioch in the church that was there, and I'll do a parenthesis here, some leaders, prophets and teachers, Barnabas and Simeon, who was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene and Manan, and who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. And while they were ministering and fasting to the Lord and fasting, something happens. So now we've got leaders. After some time, some of the men in the congregation in that church had been equipped and are now leading. Right? You with me? And then the Holy Spirit says to these leaders, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And then when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. And when they reached Salome, they began to proclaim the word of God to the synagogues of the Jews, and they also had John as their helper. And so now you see this expand, extend thing happen from the church. Evangelize the lost, bring them together into a local church, teach them, establish them in the faith, equip some of them for leadership in that church, and then send out a few, send out to go do the same thing again in another location. That's where we get our four E's from. Now, it isn't just here that you see this. If you, if you do a good study on the book of Acts, first, second, and third missionary journeys, you're going to see that same sequence of events happen. It's a pattern. It's a pattern that we get from the New Testament in the early church. Paul proclaimed the gospel, gathered new believers together, strengthened and established the churches, trained up key men to lead, and then Paul and the churches would take the gospel to new frontiers. That is part of discipleship in general. And it's discipleship like what Dave was talking about last two weeks, but it's also discipleship that eventually results in going into all the nations, just like the Matthew Commission says, just like Luke Gospel says, just like Jesus said before he ascended belongs to the church as a responsibility. It's not an option. It's part of a command. Now let me just kind of break away for a minute and say that that's how it's supposed to work. That's, that's the approach that should be taken. And a lot of things have been done over the past centuries. In fact, 
and, and I think I've shown you a graph of this back in the early 1900s, 80% of evangelicals around the world were only in Western Europe and North America. And then all the rest of the world maybe had 20% or less of believers. You know what it is today? The exact opposite. 20% of believers in the world today are in North America and Western Europe. 80% of the believers in the world are in all the other continents. And you might go, ooh, and I would go, hallelujah, that's great. That means it's happening. Christ is building his church. And it's the result of going out. And that's good. And that still needs to happen. But we've encountered a couple of bumps along the way. And so I'm going to introduce you to two problems that exist that we have, we have partly experienced in our work with other countries, and they're as follows. Problem one was described by the Lausanne Congress in 2016. Here's what they said. The Global Alliance of Church Multiplication raised a most serious concern in October 2013. They envisioned planting 5 million churches by 2020, but they surmised an astounding fail rate of up to 70% within the first year. That, that's horrible. How could we go about preserving the fruit of such incredible church planning efforts? The other thing they pointed out was pastoral leaders. And I think I had mentioned this once before. More than 2.2 million pastoral leaders, as many as perhaps 3.4 million by some estimates, that's worldwide, presently minister while only 5% are trained for pastoral ministry. Now, if you've ever, some of you have been, but many of you have not been to second, third world countries in church-related activity. But that's not an unfair statement. Many second, third world country Pastors and leaders have very little, very little formal training. The conclusion is the strengthening of pastoral leaders, forming, training, and uniting them needs a higher priority and a higher proportion of ministry, interest, and attention among the many methodologies and strategies and missions today. Strengthening pastors should stand at the pinnacle of missions strategy. 
Now remember, earlier we said missions is not just winning souls. It's discipling and strengthening the churches and having leadership for those churches. Here's the second problem, and we've run into this in Liberia. It's, uh, it's in a book written, and this is from an article written by Ken. I'm going to butcher his name. You can help me, maybe, Brian. Mabugua? Is that good? Mabugua. Uh, if you remember, there was a book called Prosperity, written by Conrad Mabiwe and Ken Mabugua, and uh, with some in info from Grudem and Piper, describing the prosperity gospel problem in Africa. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just quote a couple of things from this article in the Gospel Coalition, because it's very appropriate, and then I'll, I'll give some context as to why I'm pointing out these problems. <clears throat> there can be no denying distortions of the gospel have crept into many churches throughout Africa, chief, chief amongst them being the prosperity gospel. And his question was, how, how could this happen? Where, where were the gatekeepers? Prosperity gospel, by the way, if it's a new term for you, is a health, wealth, get rich, quick kind of gospel. It's a false gospel. And it's prevalent more than just in Africa. It's all over the global south. And you know where it came from. It came from the west. And it took off to the races. He goes on, he says, the problem of the prosperity gospel today, as much as anything, roots in an ecclesiological problem from yesterday. Generally speaking, it appears as though the gospel efforts of years past in Africa did not come with any mechanisms which professing Christians could protect and preserve the gospel from these threats. Now listen, he go, here's his example. For instance, little attention has been given to carefully understanding the doctrine of conversion and what it means for meaningful church membership or church discipline. Likewise, missionaries and pastors have not asked what the gospel has to do with church government, the responsibility of every member for guarding against false teachers, or the need for a plurality of elders. Does that sound familiar? Isn't that what you've been hearing over the last three months? This is what healthy churches should look like, what they should be like. Just as an, oh, by the way, you probably have gotten over the last three months more theological training on the church than most pastors in second and third world countries have ever gotten. 
you're rich. You are rich in good theology. Now it's a matter of practicing good theology. And we can see you starting to do that. That's good. A great deal of missionary effort at present is focused on theological education, and that's fine. But generally speaking, previous ministry efforts did not place an emphasis on equipping the pastors who were left in charge. This absence of enduring discipleship has resulted in increasingly shallow theology, leaving many local churches susceptible to whatever error its society was infected with at present. A blind spot still plagues commendable missionary efforts. Most efforts in church planting and pastoral training lack an emphasis on the local church. That's a problem in missions today, in other countries, in churches in other countries. How a church conducts its life together has everything to do with how they preserve the truth. That's what we've been saying in this series of sermons since Brian's first sermon on why does the church matter. All the way through, we have been trying to emphasize that point. We need faithful churches. But I think we also need faithful churches who understand this to go and help disciple other churches in second and third world countries who don't get this kind of training so that they can be strong, so that they can ward off some of these issues. I remember it was something five years ago or so, we had been going to Liberia, helping train the leadership in the churches there. And one of the breakouts for the conference, there was about 80 or 100 pastors in the room. And I, did, I just did something I hadn't done before. I wasn't sure what I was going to get, but I was interested in if there's one thing you wanted teaching on, what would it be? What's your biggest need in your churches? You know what they said? We need help fighting the prosperity gospel. They are coming and stealing our people. We're losing pastors to it. It's killing us. And I'm like, Really? And they're like, really? I said, that's the one thing you need. And they said, yep, that's what we need right now. Well, little did I know, this book had just been written by Conrad Mabiwe and Ken Mamugua dealing with that issue. So I got my hands on it, and the next conference I brought over 100 copies. And we also got it in PDF form. And we passed it out and we spent some time on it. And they had, I mean, if you just did the five chapters in here, you would have five sermons to fully teach 
your churches, here's the error. Here's the things wrong with the prosperity gospel. Here's what you need to fight against. So when I ask the next question, so what are we doing at CBC in regards to all this, in regards to this going part of the commission? And we also understand these problem areas that exist in going to other countries. That's an example of some of the things that we can do. So I want to, I want to, start closing out, what do we do at CBC with regards to missions, which, which, with regards to going out into all the nations? And uh, we had, some 20 years ago, uh, we had created a philosophy of ministry for CBC, and a piece of that was missions, a philosophy of missions. And a lot of that is reflected in that, that document, that two-page document. So it's worth reading and looking at and discussing and thinking about together as a church. We said we wanted to develop a network of churches regionally and internationally. And we agreed we would respond aggressively to the ministry opportunities by sending teams of experienced leaders to possibly plant new churches, but also help existing churches become more established in the faith and in equipping their leaders. We understood many of the needs were for short-term ministries of establishing existing churches. And we had people like Ed Coffey come, literally come, to Community Bible Church begging for help in training his pastors in 1995. <clears throat> so Liberia became one of, the, one of the countries that we started to go to in our going. And even though we weren't necessarily planting a church, we are part of God's plan of the church in other areas and other countries by helping them disciple their people and their leadership. And this prosperity thing was part of it. We brought over an American Gospel DVD. I think some of you have seen that, right? Yeah. Well, one of the conferences I went to, I just posed a simple question and said, I want, I want to hear from some of you. Tell me what the gospel is. I, I, was, I was shaken when I heard some of the responses. They couldn't, I don't know that I could say they don't know what it is, but they sure weren't able to articulate what it is. So the next conference, I brought the DVD uh, for the American Gospel, and we watched through it. There were a hundred of them, and we watched through that whole gospel piece by piece to make sure 
they really understood the gospel. And it was a phenomenal conversation. And I didn't realize through the years, a lot of times I'm talking and I'm thinking, they speak English, I speak English. I have a hard time understanding them because they have a Liberian form of English. But for sure, they would understand me. That wasn't really happening. <laughs> because just like I have to stop and try and figure out, well, what did you just say in English? They break off the back end of the words, and then they smash them together, and that's how they talk. And it's like <laughs> six, seven times I have to say, say it again, <laughs> say it again. And I didn't realize when I'm speaking, I'm using the whole word. And they're going, wait a minute, he just used the whole word instead of, uh, and, they're trying, and now I'm off onto the next word. So they're unable to keep up with me. <laughs> and so we have to figure out ways of, of working through that. So I would only play, I would only play maybe 10 minutes of the video, and then I would ask him, what did you hear? Tell me what you heard. And we would talk about it. And I literally, literally had pastors in the group standing up going, you mean the gospel is this? And I'm like, yeah, that's it. You got it. Now you got it. There were people who were actually getting saved while we're going through the video. We brought in some of the Strange Fire conference materials because we did some training on gifts. So there's a number of, number of things that, that we're able to help existing churches with. In Guatemala, we work with Manuel. He's training pastors up in the mountainous regions in Guatemala. And those are pastors who can't afford to go to the seminary down in Guatemala City. So we're trying to help disciple those pastors who can then in turn disciple their people. In Romania, we work with Plymouth Brethren churches with resources. And especially we're up training every year now, gypsy pastors. They have no access to formal training. They're shunned by the community. And they don't have a very good educational background. And so we get to go and live with them for a week and train their pastors book by book, epistle by epistle, learning how to interpret and understand Scripture. And they love it. And then in Cuba, we're working with materials like first principles. We had that in Spanish translation form. So, by the way, also on that sheet, this is, this is not an individual endeavor. This is a church endeavor. This is CBC going out and doing that. You know why I can say that? Because in the last 15 years, 20 
of you have been on some kind of a mission trip? 20. A lot of people have had opportunity to go and help go out into all the nations. And if you can't go, you can pray. There's only two options. You go or you pray and give so somebody else can go. But going out is mandatory. So, considering the last three months of sermons on ecclesiology, you've been provided with a lot of good, a lot of good preaching and, and teaching. And like I said, probably more than most pastors in some of the second and third world countries. You should be encouraged because we can see some changes and improvements in the way people are thinking about some of the things that we talked about. Baptisms and the Lord's Supper and how the congregation is led and discipleship. and Why does the church matter? Why is participation important? What does the church do? And I, th I think you should, you should be encouraged. And now, now it's time to actually do it. Howard Hendricks used to have a saying, to know and not to do is not to know at all. So being a good disciple means you not only know it, but you do it. And that's what we're about now. Like Dave said last week, we want to be a church of disciples making disciples here and going out into all the nations. Next week, uh, Stephen Conti is going to come, and he's going to share with us from Colossians. And then the week after that, Matt Wolf is going to come, and he's going to do two weeks on 2 Corinthians. And then you're going to see a little bit of a change in the way that we approach things from uh, up here at the pulpit. We're going to be covering probably a couple of different books uh, in, I don't want to say sequence, but what's the word I could use? We'll be going through the books, but we'll be pausing and maybe changing from one book to the other along the way, and then coming back to the book and then going to another book and coming back to the book. So it's going to be a little bit different, a little bit different approach, but I think, I think you will enjoy what we're trying to do. And I want to close then with a passage I'm sure you all have heard somewhere along the line. And it's a, pass, it's a passage in the Old Testament on going into the nations. It's Psalm 67. So listen. It's one of my favorites. Psalm 67. God, 
be gracious to us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us that your way may be known on the earth, your salvation among all the nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you will judge the peoples with uprightness and guide the nations on the earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its produce. God, our God, blesses us. God blesses us that all the ends of the earth may fear him. Amen. We're blessed, not so that we can have everything. We're blessed so that all the ends of the earth will get to hear about them. So let's get ready to do more of that. Amen? Amen.